0: As a pastoral counselor, I'm deeply concerned about the effects of theology and philosophy, psychology, on the mental and spiritual health of my clients. And it is impacting. If I've learned nothing else in my years of doing this work, I've learned that theology matters. And, of course, I've learned that philosophy and psychology and sociology oftentimes mix with theology. And it is popular these days within American culture to do so. And the effects of that, and the effects of that leaven, instead of improving theology, has so diluted and so watered it down that the spiritual effects that it has on many people Most people, I would dare say even all people who participate in it, are devastating. Maybe not at first, like any other poison. It may take a while for it to take hold, but its grips are no less deadly. So today I want to talk to you about what it means to be the people of God, and the character of the people of God. That's our topic on this episode. So, the truth or the falsehood of the gospel we preach is revealed in the nature of the community it produces. If we were to gauge the the veracity, and the integrity of the gospel, not by just doctrinal statements, not by creeds or confessions, not by denominational affiliations, but by the community that it creates, it produces, we would have a rude awakening. Now, let me put it this way. Many of you, and perhaps most of you, have had enough Christian experience that you have been to some pretty either dead or toxic churches. You've had enough church experiences that some of you, perhaps, are even among what the new demographic calls the Duns. You're just done. You're just done trying to find healthy, functional, even relatively healthy, functional community and connection within American churches. And what I'm saying to you today is that this there is a cause and effect for that. It isn't just arbitrary. As any good systems analyst will tell you, you're simply getting out of as a product, that which you put into the system. The the very thing that the system is designed to produce, you're getting. Don't be surprised that what you put into it comes out of it as well. And so it is with the preaching of the gospel. So let me say it one more time. The truth or falsehood of the gospel we preach is revealed in the nature of the community it produces. And this is a cause and effect that's seldom recognized. Nonetheless, the end goal of the gospel is the formation of a holy community and not simply populating heaven with saved individuals. Now, don't let that word holy uh, alarm you. Many of you perhaps have come from a holiness background or part of the holiest movement. Or uh, There's been a lot of spiritual abuse that's been leveled upon people in the name of holiness. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the miracle of transformation into the image of Christ. So that his very life, his holiness, or we could say his wholeness, The wholeness of his humanity, as well as his deity, is expressed in our character. There is no other way to become fully human and to understand God's design for humanity other than to gaze upon it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the very essence of what it means that Jesus has come in the flesh. Now, and that's why the apostles put such emphasis upon that. I mean, um, we know that in John's first letter, for example, he says it very clearly. He says, "Dear, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Isn't that interesting? Let me just interject here. This is how you recognize the Spirit of God. He goes on, quote, Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, what you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world, End quote. so we're living in these now and not yet times, and as we await the return of our Lord, that the kingdom of God, the era of the new covenant of the spirit, the new creation that is yet to come and be fully realized, has in fact begun in the regeneration of our hearts and minds and our indwelling of the Spirit, so that we no longer belong to this world. We belong to the age to come, and we are in union with Jesus Christ. So we are in the in-between times, but we are not just in a, a waiting room. We are not just in a vacuum. We are actually living out the life of the future kingdom in the present. So let me just say it one more time here. There is no way to become human, to be fully human, to f- realize what it means to be fully human, other than our gazing upon Jesus in his humanity as well as his deity. Jesus came in the flesh, meaning he was truly man, truly human, and truly God. And in his humanity, he redeemed our humanity. And so it's the irony of ironies. It's so ironic that we have such a Gnostic view of Christianity in America today. And what do I mean by Gnostic? Some of you may be unfamiliar with that term. What I mean is a such an emphasis upon individual knowledge and spirituality at the expense of community. I'll elaborate on that more soon. But the Gnostics were an early heresy, an early sect that opposed the gospel preaching of the apostles and opposed the notion of a uh, holy community of people and emphasized personal knowledge as spirituality and individual spirituality and put no emphasis upon the he, the redemption of our whole humanity in our in our uh behavior within our bodies as long as you were spiritual then you were okay. You could do pretty much anything you wanted in your body. You could act in any immoral way you wanted, but just stayed spiritually clean. It was a a heresy. It was a wicked alternative gospel, but I'm telling you, it never died out. John, especially, in his first three letters, addressed it vigorously, condemned it, but It never died out. It's active in the world today, and I dare say it is active in the church as well. You'll understand that more as I go on. Okay. So the end goal of the gospel is the formation of a holy community, not simply populating heaven with a bunch of saved individuals in their own little private lot with their fences. This isn't the suburbs. (laughs) Heaven is a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth in which we all dwell, which we all communicate, which we all live with each other in perfect holiness and harmony without sin. So, while it is most certain, it is most certainly true that salvation is experienced on a personal and individual level the gospel nonetheless remains a communal message, meaning the good news that God has acted in Christ so as to bring about the formation of what Peter calls a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's 1 Peter nine, a so what I want to do here is show you the extraordinary character of the daily conduct of this community as it sets forth and commanded by the Lord Jesus and his apostles. I want to teach you, I want to help you, I want to at least be one voice calling you to how, how to live in these in-between times of Christ's first and second coming. Now this is critical. Because to the degree that we are not walking in step with the Spirit, as is reflected in our interpersonal relationships with one another and in the home, we are walking in step with the Spirit of this present evil age. And that cannot lead you anywhere but into chaos and misery. So let's just examine in this episode the meaning of community. Now, the early church was an organic community. Now, that didn't mean that they ate organic food, <laughs> it meant that they were a living body, a living organism. They were in, in relation, much more in relation to the living physical body that we possess. It was a much better parallel to the understanding of the early church than we have today with our institutionalized, state-licensed, federally sponsored 501c3, complete with tax numbers and formal filings and so on. In other words, the early church was much more organic, much more natural, much more physical, and had much more in common with our bodies, our actual physical bodies, as we can read easily throughout the New Testament, than it does today That where the church is, has much more in common with corporate America and its structure, its institutional structure, and in, in its business model. <laughs> what I just said there is absolutely profound, if you understand, and it explains a lot, doesn't it? It explains why the church is so impotent at times, because it's not the church. It is an institution, federally sponsored, state licensed. Now, there is no license for churches, don't get me wrong, but at least not in, in, in my state, Washington. But there is a corporate identity. When you file for a corporate license or you file under a 501c3 and you get a business license in in the state of Washington, you are effectively validated by the state as being an entity with a tax number and you can use that 501c3 then that you receive from the IRS to ensure that your members receive tax deductibility for their gifts and offerings I mean it's it's horrendous <laughs> it's it's ludicrous folks when we get so identify with corporate America that we start looking like it. We look more like Walmart than we do the church, the temple of God, the people gathered in the spirit. What do we expect going to come out of that community? What do we expect going to come out of a community that's structured there Walmart or Nordstrom or uh, any other, or Costco for that matter. Same structure, same filings for the most part. There's differences because one's a church and one isn't. And even the state acknowledges that. Even the federal government acknowledges that. But it's still it's still under a business model and still under a business structure. And what you lose is that organic sense of community. Not to mention the fact I dare say that what you lose is the blessing of the Spirit. So the church or the Ecclesia in Greek, or Ecclesia, however you want to pronounce it, was a Greek term that originally meant referred to the citizens of the city states of ancient Greece. In other words, a people called out from one setting and into another. And in the gospel context, the ecclesia is called out of the world and into the kingdom of the Son. And you cannot institutionalize that. Any more than you can institutionalize and control the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has given the church one means, one um, instrument by which we are assured that the church is being built, by which we are assured that we are honoring his work amongst us and within us, and that is the preaching of the gospel. So the church is a people who have left the fellowship of the world and entered into fellowship with the Father and the Son on the basis of faith and by virtue of the work of the Spirit through the gospel. Let me ask you this. If someone were to ask you what a Christian is, remember the old um, um, evangelistic program we used to go through soul winners program <laughs> That was one of the questions. If someone were to ask you what a Christian is, what would you say and I dare say that it would not include the formation of a community. Most people would say, well we, uh, a Christian is a person who goes to church or somebody who prays or somebody who believes in Christ or you know but but rarely would even an act uh, a Christian respond with. A Christian is someone who's a member of God's holy people by virtue of the Spirit, through faith. God's holy nation, a chosen people, called out of the world, marked out by the presence of the Spirit. Do you get a sense of just how far, folks, we have drifted from the dock? And now, you, and, and is it clear to you that already, why so many people file in, into in and out of my counseling office, who are good, solid, devoted Christians, but whose lives are train wrecks, because they have no narrative, they have no story, they're attending Walmart on Sundays and thinking they're going to church. I mean, a visit to Costco may be a very fun and interesting experience for some people. It kind of overwhelms me, actually. But, but you can attend a megachurch and have a very similar feel as to attending uh, Costco. That's American Christianity, folks. And it's destructive. This is what gets me impassioned, is that these things are not benign, They are not just a matter of preference or opinion. This is life or death. This is righteousness, peace, and joy, or chaos and misery. So I don't do these broadcasts because I'm bored. (laughs) I do these broadcasts because I care deeply about your spiritual and mental health, your relational health, your family's health. And because there's so much nonsense being handed to you in the name of Jesus. I am forever amazed if, if I go on to TCT or Daystar or TBN or some other, quote, Christian, end quote, station. The lies, the Judaizing that goes on on those channels. Don't watch them. Really. To me, they're right in there with any kind of pornography. They have the equal effect on you spiritually. Let me say that again. Watching Christian television has the same impact on you, ultimately, as watching pornography. You say, well, Rick, that's a little extreme. That's not hyperbole, folks. That is both of them are grounded in evil. So, we have to recover the meaning of the church as a community of two or three or eight or ten or fifty, a hundred, whatever size, and understanding that the end goal of the preaching of the gospel is the creation of a people, plural, after the model and image of Jesus Christ. Does the church you attend now or the community to to which you're involved, do you experience and do you see the image of Christ in that community? Important question. The gospel is a communal message. and and whether or not we're preaching the truth or falsehood in our claim to preach the gospel will be tested by the community it produces. So even though, even though the gospel is a communal message, after 500 years of Protestantism, not to mention the Enlightenment of the 17th century, with its emphasis on the individual, For me to speak today of the gospel as a communal message is to speak to some folks as if I'm offering some strange new teaching. And why is this? Throughout the apostolic era and to this day, wicked people have arisen from both within and without the church, speaking perverse things and teaching something other than what Paul referred to in Acts 20:25, 20, as the whole will of God. It's a reductionist version of the gospel designed to produce quick and easy conversions. Or, some kind of culturally and or politically defined gospel, which is no gospel at all. We know that the devil traffics in half-truths. And his half-truths serve as an alternative to the whole will, counsel, or purpose of God. And what these half-truths preached, what you get is half-Christians. You know, people who believe in Jesus. People who say they believe that they are saved only through the blood of Jesus. But then insist that you must keep the Jewish feasts as well. Or insist that you must keep Sunday as the Sabbath. Or threaten you that if you do not tithe 10% of your gross income, you will come under a curse. You will lose God's favor. Or whatever and whatever and whatever. So, the gospel ends in the formation of a genuine community. That's why Paul spent in Ephesus three years teaching and warning with tears. He did that so as to equip the churches to stand fast in the face of perversions. Paul's overriding concern for the gospel being preached was not so that Jim and Mary and Bob and Betty and Judy and Joan could get individually saved and then go separately to their homes at night and live separate lives. No. Paul went preaching into Asia Minor in order to establish churches. <laughs> to establish in the midst of pagan uh, paganism pagan decadence and Jewish synagogue apostasy, a new people, the people of God. The people of God as marked out from the world by the very presence of God through the ministry of the Spirit and who reflect the character of God in their relationships with one another. But Paul also knew that perversions would arise, and the first thing that would suffer the first thing that would would fall apart is the is the fabric of the Christian community itself. It would begin to splinter the Jewish apostates would come in and turn it into a just another Christian uh, Jewish sect the Pagans would come in and try to uh, convert Christianity and just, just into another philosophical wisdom religion. And what would happen is that the people themselves would splinter into warring factions. Those are the terrors that the devil sows within the field of God. A perverted gospel always produces a perverted community. A perverted gospel often sounds good, and it is often delivered even by very respectable men and women. But it always lacks one essential element, folks, and that is the power to transform sinners into a community of God's holy holy people. A.W. Tozer, in reference to Paul's writings, says this, quote, The ominous thing is that the Pauline doctrines may be taught with complete faithfulness to the letter of the text without making the hearers one whit the better. Significant, isn't it, Tozer goes on to say, that of all who hold the evangelical position, those Christians who lay the greatest store by Paul are often the least Pauline in spirit. There is a vast important difference between a Pauline creed and a Pauline life. End quote. Tozer got it. I wish you were still around. I'd fly to wherever he is and shake his hand and thank him. I'd probably hug him with tears. He understood what I'm saying. These comments by Tozer reveal the fault of much preaching under the Protestant banner today, whether it's Lutheran or Reformed. 500 years of reading the apostolic writings through the eyes of Luther and Calvin instead of Peter and Paul have landed us short of understanding the New Testament imperative of community and salvation. Now, I did not say there the imperative of going to church. Very important that you understand me. I did not say that that we should that the mandate is to attend church <laughs> I said the mandate the imperative of is is to form healthy holy community under the power of the spirit genuine holiness not external piety a genuine transformation of heart, mind, and will so that there is actually the image and model of Christ being shown forth. Some people may say, I'm a dreamer. <laughs> when I was in seminary, there were a group of us that professors used to refer to us as dreamers. <laughs> they, they said it affectionately. But I'm not just dreaming. I'm not just humming the words of the lines, lyrics of John Lennon's song, Imagine. You may think I'm a dreamer. (laughs) No, folks, this is New Testament teaching. This isn't some philosophical idealism. This is what the New Testament actually teaches. And just because 500 years of Protestantism have taught us that The ideal Christian situation is that an individual gets saved and plans for heaven and that the ideal of community is just something you have to do and you don't even know why half the time. Just because I'm teaching that the New Testament says that God's people are a holy people doesn't mean I'm a dreamer. I mean, if that's the case, how far from the dock have we drifted? If we get to the point where we believe that holiness and love in our relationships with each other are simply an ideal, a lofty ideal for which we should not expect to achieve, then I dare say the apostasy has set in so deep that it may be irreparable. Protestantism's emphasis on individual salvation, followed in the 17th century by Enlightenment, the Enlightenment era, philosophically, placed the role of community outside the mainstream of both theological and philosophical thought. So today, people gather, but it is seldom understood why nor is it explained by christian leaders and simply telling people you should go to church or quote the bible says we should not forsake the gathering of ourselves together that's the old fallback all of it falls short of communicating god's redemptive purposes in christ do you realize that this all this emphasis upon individual salvation at the expense of community, would have been unthinkable in the preaching of Paul and the other apostles? In fact, as I said earlier, attempts to reduce Christianity to a wisdom religion or place the emphasis upon individual spirituality was indicative of the proto-Gnostics of the apostolic era against whom John especially wrote against. And he said it originated in the evil one and not the spirit of God. So let me close by repeating. The truth of the gospel we preach is revealed in the nature of the community it produces. And given the extreme difficulty in finding or forming healthy Christian community. The task before us, then, is to examine our understanding of the gospel that we're either preaching or hearing and ask this probing question. What is the gospel you are preaching or hearing, and is it producing a community that reflects God's character in your relationships to one another? Well, we're going to pause there, and we'll pick it up here next time. And we'll discuss more about the, what we mean by the gospel. We've talked this time about what we mean by community. And if it's the gospel, which we believe it is, that produces community, now that we have a better idea what community is and what it isn't, we want to be careful now to understand what we mean by the gospel and it isn't that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life Joel Osteen may love you and have a wonderful plan for your life as long as you pay him well any number of charlatans on Christian television will tell you that the gospel is about your health wealth and prosperity there's a lot of people will tell you what the gospel is. I mean, all the sublines on these Christian television networks, all the programming notes, have so-and-so preaches how to succeed in life using biblical principles. Quote unquote. Folks, that's not the gospel. Steer clear of it. There's only destruction awaiting for those who follow that path. And I care about that. I don't want that for you. What I want for you is everything, everything that Jesus and the apostles taught was for you in Christ. Because you were in him and not in the world. So we'll pick it up there. We'll learn more next time about the gospel and what it is and what it isn't. Amen.